Welcome back to the latest Offshore Europe podcast live from the Woodstand here at Offshore Europe in Aberdeen. I'm Eamon Collins and I'm going to be the host for this session which focuses on hydrogen, a topic that we've heard a lot about already this week. To get into building a hydrogen economy, I'm delighted to be joined by two distinguished guests. We've got Martin Banks, Director of Hydrogen and Power to X for Wood across the EMEA region and Kieran Lake from Siemens Energy, Corporate Account Manager at Siemens Energy. Thank you both very much for joining us, gents. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Okay, Martin, I'm going to start with you. So, I mean, I, I guess sort of, you know, there's a lot of buzz around hydrogen. There has been for a number of years. Uh, certainly this week, we've heard an awful lot about as we start thinking about the energy systems of the future in the next 50 years, that hydrogen is going to play an increasingly important role. I'm interested in your reflections on, you know, why is hydrogen so important to that net zero journey? Eamon, it's a good question. I think the answer comes down to the versatility of it. Um, it, it serves a really important decarbonisation role where electrification uh, can't help uh, and, and hydrogen, hydrogen is very effective at, at filling those gaps out into a, a number of off-takers. But actually, even beyond the off-take uh, purpose of hydrogen, its ability to transport energy is very useful as well as, as a vector. So it's yeah, it, it plugs the gaps over electrification, which I think from a decarbonisation perspective is our primary goal. So, Kieran, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think that you know, hydrogen is abundant. You know, it's everywhere, but it's it's linked to things. So we've got to look at how we then split it off. And I think, as Martin was saying there, it is very versatile. We know it. We know hydrogen. been using hydrogen in different process industries for a long time. And now we need to look at how we can move that into decarbonization of industries which for example electrification isn't a good fit and i think what we're seeing right now is the starting point there around let's look at refining for example where hydrogen's been displacing some sort of gray hydrogen in there but looking at how to get that in there with um then moving on to like the methanols for example or ammonia being able to take hydrogen which is not easy to move long distances as a molecule but looking at how to Bring it from where, for example, Saudi Arabia or Chile, where we're doing work, and you know we've got abundance of renewable energy. Converting that, transporting it easily and economically to where the demand is, and that's a key thing: balancing of supply and demand. Yeah, exactly. I think when you're out offshore Europe, it's easy to get caught up in the the UK context or the Scottish context. But when we look at the the map globally, where are the centres of low-cost hydrogen production exists. And, and and Scotland and the wider UK has the potential to be there or thereabouts, but mm. the, where the, the ultimately the lowest cost production areas are isn't where the highest demand is. And hydrogen is, is excellent through PowerTech solutions with, with ammonia particularly to move that product to the areas that it's needed. Mm. There was one of the points on the, the panel session that you were both on earlier this morning, which I thought was important, which was, you know, there's a lot of debate and discussion around the colours of hydrogen and, you know, how that hydrogen is produced. But it, it strikes me that to a certain extent, that's a, a little bit of a distraction. Uh, and I'm thinking that obviously kind of green hydrogen will happen in places where, for example, it'll be location contingent, you know, where there is a good renewable source. Blue hydrogen, for example, might work in, say, high emitting industries where you've got, uh, you know, things like carbon capture can fit. I'm just interested, Martin, I'll start myself in terms of this this focus on colours. Is it an impediment? Is it important? Or should we just be focusing on scaling up the, the capacity and the infrastructure? I, I think it's a, a slight impediment um, because at the end of the day, hydrogen will... A, a key enabler in establishing a hydrogen economy is what the actual public perception of it is. 
and we um, we have a, a a job to do there in sharing um, evidence of its its use and its benefits. Putting whether it's green or blue or grey or brown or pink into the mix, I don't. It just causes causes confusion. At the point of um, point of use, it doesn't matter where it came from. Obviously, from a clean energy perspective, we're looking at blue and green. But if a hydrogen is hydrogen, and as Kieran said, we've been we've been using it for decades. So yeah, I think um, from a from a customer perspective, we should move away from from mm-hmm. thinking about it, so we can clarify the sell of the benefits of hydrogen. Yeah. That is a good point, and we all get, particularly in the press, oh, what color is it? Because it's easy to. So remember, what we've got to be looking at is low or zero carbon hydrogen, wherever it's derived from. And also, to create an economy quickly, scale. And quite frankly, that isn't necessarily going to come out from so-called green electrolysis, the quick and easy ways through the technologies of steam reforming, for example, of which you know, wood is very active in, decarbonizing existing processes and looking then at new build-outs to volume which in the UK, you know, we've got natural gas still. Use it, start to develop higher volumes of hydrogen mm. and then mixing that to the demand. And I think, as we showed this morning, is that sort of to 2030 at least, that sort of green gradually coming up and then blue going in chunks because of, of the build-out. But it, let's be agnostic on colour, mm. you know. And, uh, you know, and I think that's not the important. It's low carbon or zero carbon hydrogen we need to be talking about. Yeah. Just sticking with that, uh, yeah, again, Kieran. I think one of the points that you were making earlier, which I'd, I'd like you to expand on, is you know this uh, this um, this notion of momentum. And I think you know there's been a lot of projects in the hydrogen space that have been concept early phase. But how do we accelerate? You know, what are some of the barriers we need to overcome to accelerate that into the execution stage? It is a good thing. I think we showed this morning, and the, the recent report showed there's exponential growth actually in the number of projects out there. But getting those to FID still is a struggle and you know one in ten i think eventually gets there what are the drivers there i think government has a role to play regulation seed funding to get things done not just in the production side but in the infrastructure mm-hmm. and we mentioned for example i mean siemens energy headquartered in germany the german government and also i was in the netherlands last week actually looking at well we're going to start making paving the way for the infrastructure to be able then the producers and the supply chain and the demand to get together. So both. One is stimulation of the economy, and then I think is volume, getting access to to low carbon hydrogen. The, there's never been a better uh, analogy as a chicken and egg with hydrogen. You know, do you produce it and they will come, or do you need to demonstrate the demands there before you produce it? What the US have done has been very aggressive in, in uh, incentivizing production and the whilst the offtake plans are embryonic, they're, they're comfortable that they've got that that government backing to to, to proceed. Uh, I think when we look at the type of projects that we've been involved with, we we do have a global reach. We are touching projects in every region, but there has been a shift to the the volume or the proportion in the US because it, the developers are operating globally. They are looking where can I get the best return on my investment of uh, or allocation of resource so they so they look there so i think the the, the uk europe we've, we've got to be mindful of that and things seem to be improving now but we've got to be mindful of, of having that that skills train or that focus moving moving elsewhere i think that's a really good point martin as well and you kind of you talked there about the inflation reduction act and one of the things coming through this week is this sort of the simplicity and the clarity of it 
not just from a developer's perspective, but also from an off ticker's perspective and actually understanding, you know, where they might fit into that value chain as well. Yeah. Yeah. The simplicity of it, I think is, has been key. Um, we, we all, we all understand the mechanism that these projects have been built around, uh, and it, and it lets the developer appraise their, their business case with a lot more confidence. And I think it's a key point actually is having projects which have a click, which are fundable, you know, and I think that's at the end of the day. And I think in the U S they've done that typical U S style very clearly, very boldly as well. It's not just tinkering. It's a very bold statement, but also linked to not just supply and demand, but part of that is also supply chain. So, you know, having this, you will do this in the U S to get these fundings. So companies like ourselves, radio, we've got to do something here right now. And also they've looked at, you know, certain, we're seeing a lot of projects out there right now, which are getting through FID at scale, but they're looking at sustainable aviation fuel right now as a key one, because there is a demand from the airlines right now. I want that fuel and I'm prepared yeah. to pay a premium for it. And I think that's what we're seeing in the industry. The other one is shipping is uh, doing a lot of work around uh, methanol, for example, e-methanol. Yeah. Why? Because the shipping industry wants to have, or has to have, mandated to have, you know, carbon reduction or CO2 emission reductions. Well, we're now seeing orders placed on vessels that will run on those e-fuels. You know, yes. so they're, they're almost forcing the hand to, to have the, the product there, there for them. And a lot of those actually don't rely on, they have a proven business case. They don't rely on government subsidy, actually. And I think that's where we're focusing our business as mm. well, is really looking at finding those where you've got demand, supply and demand, but multiple rollout of projects uh, globally. Yeah. And I think that's an area where I think we're focusing our efforts. And I think along the lines of working together with the likes of the woods to find those and, and deliver them. It's been a, a little bit of an education over the last couple of years, because obviously when you think of wood, you think of the project development support that we provide. But within our clean energy team, we've also been supporting clients with their funding applications. And just becoming more familiar with the, the eligibility criteria, the evaluation criteria, understanding the importance of engaging with the supply chain or, or uh, offtake agreements you know, it's, it's really opened our eyes to the, like the, the context of the projects that we operate in. And I think it's made us much better engineers for it. We understand not only the, the nuts and bolts of making the project a success, but making the environment for the project to be a, su a success as, as well. Yeah. One of the things, um, you know, we've talked a little bit about off-tickers and all the kind of various areas where hydrogen could be used. And, you know, this isn't just aspiration. Certainly what we've seen is that there are clear, punchy targets in place. And, you know, I'm thinking the UK has a target of uh, 10 gigawatts of low-carbon hydrogen by 2030. Scotland has its own target of 5 gigawatt by 2030, 25 by 2045. The EU wants to do 10 million tonnes of uh, clean hydrogen by 2030. And, yeah, I think 2030 really isn't that far off. It's, what, six and almost six and a half years away. I guess if, for example, you know, the housing economy really does accelerate and get moving quickly. Um, Martin, I'm going to start with you. I mean, is there, an, is there a concern around the supply chain and the capacity to actually deliver on those ambitious goals? There is, there is. And it's an area we often are asked to investigate as part of these feasibility projects. Can we apply the, the knowledge that we have got from consulting through to capital project delivery to help the developer understand what the timeline looks like for their project? Many of our clients are coming in from the renewable space. They're very accustomed to building solar and wind projects, but a lot less so hydrogen. I mean, everybody is, I suppose, at the scales we're looking at now. So 
any um, guidance we can provide on on a development timeline is is important. But the supply chain actually is is where is where the risk sits. You know, te- te- techno-economically, we'd like to resolve a few more risks around offtake certainty. But from a project delivery perspective, the risk sits with the supply chain. It's an issue and a challenge which we have to to address. And I think from our side, it's not just around electrolysis, for example, where showed this morning, you know, not just Siemens Energy, but all of the major suppliers have got big build-out plans for new capacity. Is it enough? And I think by 2030, no, a lot more has to be done. But it isn't only electrolysis where we've got materials. Um, it's two things. One is engineering slots, so human resources getting there. Mm. And it's also other parts of the balance of plant, the infrastructure, the power infrastructure, to get power to electrolysis, for example, transformers simple things but uh well not but there's a lot of um you're looking at years of lead times on there you have to factor that in a, a red flag we've seen recently actually and it's a it's a change as we as we liaise with the electrolyzer oems to to receive budget inquiries for various projects there two years ago they would offer a scope of supply of a box you know that this size now they're retracting the items that they're a little bit less comfortable that they'll be able to secure like like the transformers so perhaps outside of the electrolyzer's gift to, to manufacture them, but they need to include them as part of their package. So we're seeing some instances them now starting to exclude that from their service because they're, that concern around the availability of the product and the supply chain is, is real. Well, that is an important point, and it's a differentiator, I would say, for Siemens Energy because in the portfolio, yep. we've got a big part of that so we can manage, hopefully, on, on projects and look at not just the electrolyzer, but the power equipment around it, the compression, you know, the interconnections to grid, for example, mm-hmm. and help making de-risking projects and then looking at schedule security as well, which I think yep. is an important part. And early engagement in projects is key. So that, you know, being open about it, but the early engagement to lock in manufacturing slots yep. is a key part, I think, of working together mm-hmm. um, um, from across the whole industry. We talked a little bit earlier around policy and we've talked now around kind of some of the, the challenges and the opportunities within the supply chain. I guess the one of the other areas I want to touch on is costs. And I guess there is a perception that at the minute a lot of hydrogen projects, you know, it's still a requirement on policy and subsidy. And certainly there's a discussion around how do we drive towards that lower levelized cost of hydrogen. Uh, I'll start with yourself, Martin, in terms of where you see some of the opportunities perhaps to, you know, drive down the cost of hydrogen projects. One of the largest opportunities we see at the moment, uh, and, and what I particularly like about it is it's, uh, it's like a, it's one of these win, rare win-win scenarios. Particularly in the, in the UK, you the, touched on it this morning, the, the potential we've got in offshore wind around the north of Scotland. The, the grid can't absorb the power potential that will come from those offshore wind developments. The demand uh, is, is all in the south of the, of the UK. There is a, you know, every year the, the, the government pays a you know a considerable sum of money to, to developers for curtailment payments that is a for me is a, is a great route for realizing significant savings and the overall levelized cost of hydrogen of a hydrogen project the, the around 50 percent of the cost of the the produced hydrogen is in the power to drive the electrolyzer so if projects can take advantage of of um peaks and troughs in the power price market then I, then i think that's a great enabler um, and the success of the project, and, and it's somewhere we can help. You know, we we are developing optimization tools now, which can 
integrate how the Lexalizer operates with perhaps the downstream power to X, with the storage of the of the product, and with the renewable sizing, so that we can we can design a process plan which works with the renewable plan to allow the developer or the operator to extract as much product as they can when the power prices are advantageous to do so. It's a really, really interesting space. What about yourself, Kieran, from a technology perspective, you know, is that, that cost opportunity, where are you seeing that? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes, obviously, continued development of driving costs out of, or engineering costs out of the product, but then comes down to scale, manufacturing at scale, yeah. and standardization. So looking, and, and Green H2 particularly comes, you know, lends itself to a high degree of standardization modularization and, and and then building that out as well and also then looking at how it links together with the other parts of the balance of plant so that you can really engineer out and then hopefully repeat 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 one one area that i would love to work with the lightslizer market more actually is on that gigawatt scale optimization because i, I think what we're very used to now is seeing the 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 stacks and the modules moving out from from five megawatts to 20 megawatts to then having 10 tens to make a hundred in a building you know, i think clients are now coming to us to say well show us what a gigawatt looks like and we know that there's value to find in our engineering around not having 10 100s but figuring out another way to to make this uh, uh simpler uh, cheaper and then the end yeah i think we we see the same thing actually as actually looking at doing a lot of work right where would be the natural breaks where you yeah. could actually where it does make sense to do that and then looking at like working how you fabricate as well you know going out not just taking the components but as much as you know through the oil and gas industry learned through modularization building standardization testing getting it to site minimizing the time and cost of on-site work mm. as well i think is a key key factor so and i think that's from our point of view is looking at and we see it through the other typical like wind industry, the cost going down through as you deploy. Mm. Um, we've got a lot of work to do on our supply chain manage material costs, looking at how we can optimize on material, mm. which is an issue. And, uh, and that's a continual development program. And looking at newer technologies which are emerging so that, you know, we can not just have, we do M primarily, but, you know, looking at how we can look at a portfolio uh, newer technologies emerge or lower cost technologies. Gents, we've covered a lot of ground there and um, you know, I'm certainly very optimistic. It feels like there's a lot of momentum within the market and that you're both optimistic about that. Uh, I'm going to move us to the final question now, which is the same one that we've been asking all of our guests on the podcast this week. You know, if the, the, the theme for offshore Europe is around um, accelerating that transition to a better energy future. I'm interested in both your reflections on, on what that means to you and specifically for, for, for example, hydrogen's role in that. I'll, I'll start with yourself, Martin, and I'll give Kieran the last word. Yeah, I, I mean, for for me, I mean, I, I think it's symbolic. Actually, you know, I've I've been to a few conferences over the years and spoken about where we are with with hydrogen in the UK and globally. And they're often, um, you know, talking shops around this is this would be a great idea, or this would be a great idea. But what we're really seeing now is that momentum to actually build projects. Uh, you know, and for me. When we look at accelerating the energy transition, that that's where we're at now. You know, I think that this is a this feels like the the start of the exponential curve. And when we come back here in two years' time, and we're you, know, I think we'll, it'll be it'll be totally different again. So I'm very optimistic. Same here. I think we're very optimistic. I think hydrogen, low carbon hydrogen, has a key role in the energy mix of the future. As you say, what we frustrations we have, particularly in in, in the UK, is the the 
the speed uh, of, of rollout. But I think particularly Scotland, for example, you're sitting on the resource of, of renewable wind, yep. key component there. And I think together we've got the ingenuity and the technology to, to make that realize it as well. And particularly what was interesting taking away from here is, you know, my background is oil and gas, you know, how the skill sets of well and of, 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 the supply chain can adapt itself relatively quickly to these newer industries. Yep. So very hopeful, very optimistic. Two years time, hopefully we, you know, we can tell you about the projects that we're all working on. Absolutely. Well, look, listen, that's a great way to finish. So I'll, uh, I'll thank you both, Martin and Kieran, for your time. There's a lot of great insights shared. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Eamon. Yep. Thank you, Martin.